The world of health and wellness can often feel like the Wild West, but the reality is very different. And understanding how the law affects employers, employees, consultants, coaches is of utmost importance. Welcome to the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bradford Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute, and today's guest is wellness attorney Barbara Zababa. She is the go-to person when it comes to applying the laws surrounding health and wellness. If you're thinking about a career as a credible health and wellness coach, you missed our first certification of the year, but we have three more on the calendar for 2022. Please keep in mind as you're planning ahead that we keep class sizes very small, so they tend to fill early. All the details at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. And as always, if you have any questions we'd like to discuss how it fits into your career plans, your goals, reach out to us. Email is results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. We're happy to set up a time to chat over the phone. Now, it's time to be a Catalyst with wellness attorney Barbara Zavala on the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. All right. Well, we have the health and wellness legal expert joining us today, Barbara Zavala. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is going to be great. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, in terms of here, we both use that phrase, how did you end up making health and wellness the focus of your legal pursuits and and legal profession? Well, it actually goes back quite a long ways. Uh, When I, right after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I had a one-year fellowship where I got a chance to go around the world and look at workplace wellness programs of all things. That was kind of what I was interested in. Yeah, occupational health. So I got to visit these huge companies in England and Sweden and the Netherlands and talk to their uh, medical directors and was really intrigued by the whole concept of trying to achieve wellness at work. After I got back from my fellowship, I went to public health school and took a lot of courses in health behavior, health education, and also policy. And that's when I was recommended that maybe I think about law school after I got my master's in public health. So I did went and I went to law school, but there was no such thing as wellness law in law school. (laughs) I just felt this tug that I should be doing something different than just the traditional practice of healthcare law. But I didn't know what that was, but I knew I had to find it somehow because that's this little inner voice just wouldn't shut up. Then thought that maybe I should open my own law firm, which was never in the cards for me. I never was never a bucket list item, never something I thought I would want to do, much less do. (laughs) So I, but I couldn't, once I had the thought popped into my head, I couldn't get rid of it. And six weeks later, August 4th, 2014, I started the center for health and wellness law and really used it as an opportunity to carve out my own path, my own definition of the type of law I want to see practiced which wasn't being practiced in any of the law firms I'd ever encountered. And then I thought, oh, I should write a book. So I did. I wrote a book that was published by the American Bar Association called Rule the Rules of Workplace Wellness Programs. And uh, the second edition just came out. I've just sort of created this practice area called Wellness Law. Somewhere along the path, you have a favorite lawyer joke, and we're dying to hear it. (laughs) So what do you got for us, Barbara? Yeah. What do you call a bunch of lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? Isn't that the answer is a good start, you know? Um, 
lot of overlapping categories. You mentioned a lot of them when you talked about how you got here. So let's just do a hit and run. And, and I'll emphasize, and you can change my wording here if you'd like, but folks listening, this is not legal advice. This is a conversation. She's given us just some off the top, get you started. So don't treat this for more than it is, but it'll give you a great running start. You can always reach out to Barbara if you want to get some more of this. So let's start with employers. What are some of the biggest legal mistakes in the health and wellness arena that employers are making? Oh, and that's a great question because I, because of the name of Center for Health and Wellness Law, I often get inquiries from employees. Right. You're thinking you sure. know, that I'm a, a center mm-hmm. that can, they can go to and ask questions about their employer problems, <laughs> which is not the type of work that I do. But I do get an inside view then of some right. of the problems that uh, employers may not may or may not know that they have. Uh, and one of the things that sticks out is incentives. When they start tying incentives to health or wellness goals, unfortunately, employers, uh, well, with the law right now, as it stands, there's no real guidance as to how much of an incentive can employers throw at a wellness activity or an outcome. Because the law says, and when I say the law, I particularly mean the Americans with Disabilities Act, says that you can get health information from employees through a wellness program as long as it's voluntary. And when you throw an incentive at getting health information from employees, which is usually involved in wellness programs on some level, is you're trying to collect employee health data, then the whole voluntary nature of it gets called into question. Like, well, I can't really pass up this $100 gift card. to, you know, answer these questions and employees feel coerced. And that's, that's really what a lot of the lawsuits that have been happening uh, have been really about uh, is the calling into question, the voluntary nature of any health information collection by employees, employers, I should say. Okay. We talk to companies about that all the time. And I think you're exactly right. If you, if you align them incorrectly, if you align them with, an outcome that is not intrinsically motivated, it drives nothing. If you tie it to something that introduces people to something they may not have otherwise been aware of, it can be incredibly powerful, which then wouldn't (laughs) fall into the danger zone that you're talking about. So excellent. Mm -hmm. That's a great start. Mm -hmm. So how about benefit consultants? Is it kind of the same landmine there or there's some different things that the consultants need to be aware of that maybe they're doing, not realizing they're stepping into gray areas? Yeah. So, uh, and I will acknowledge that a lot of employers use benefit consultants as their go-to resource for compliance when it comes to workplace wellness, because a lot of wellness programs are tied to the health benefit um, programs. And so I respect that. Uh, But one thing that I've learned over the years with benefit consultants is that they're often yeah, I got, they often have tunnel vision when it comes to compliance. They think of the incentive laws like the uh, Affordable Care Act incentive laws, maybe the ADA, EEOC laws that deal with incentives and then don't really pay attention 
to all the other laws mm. that exist that are that are still applicable to wellness programming. Not very well rounded when you consult a benefits consultant unless they've you know kind of specialized in this area. So it's you know there's Fair Labor Standards Act issues, there's workers comp issues, there's state licensing issues, there's of course data privacy and security issues um, that not just just HIPAA, I'm talking about, you know, state level and other federal laws. There's tax issues. There's, um, you know, other notification issues. If there's any sort of apps or, you know, nutritional supplements that might be involved, you might have FDA issues. So it, there's just a lot that isn't often addressed. You know, the focus, the laser focus, you know, the interest even by the clients and not always just the benefit consultants, but the clients too, where they just, they focus on the incentive laws. Um, and those are very important because again, the lawsuits that you see, that's usually where they're at is with the incentive laws, but we're forgetting about a whole host of other laws that are implicated when you introduce wellness programming into the workplace. All right. So mm-hmm. l- let's jump into this next one. EAPs, Employee Assistant Programs. Is there anything in that arena that you're like, oh, Brad, you know, folks are kind of dipping their toe in an area that's a, a, a danger zone? Well, EAPs, I mean, actually, they can they can be a safe haven for some wellness programming because they are an accepted benefit. Um, so if you can structure wellness programming through an EAP, you may be exempt from having to comply Mm. with a number of laws like uh, a lot of the Affordable Care Act um, requirements for, you know, group health plans, um, EAPs that follow certain parameters, uh, you know, don't are exempt from a lot of those requirements like um, essential benefits and um, the minimum um, essential coverage requirements that uh, the mental health um, parity types of requirements that, you know, often are attached to full-blown group health plans. So uh, yeah, so they, they can be very helpful, but uh, they have to be pretty much watered down. They can't be providing significant benefits. They're more or less a referral service um, to qualify for that exemption. Um, So, so, you know, they can be a really good way to offer just introductory kinds of services, uh, you know, a starting point for people to then get more comprehensive services elsewhere. Um, and uh, some some companies are, you know, using that model to help employers with those kinds of offerings. Okay, good. That, that's helpful. And then employee wellness providers. That that's you know we started U.S. Corporate Wellness started in 2007. There were not a lot of us out there at the time. Now there's one on every third street corner. So that's growing a lot. And I'm guessing those are the companies that often are reaching out to you. What are what are some of the landmines for the providers? Yeah. A lot, one of the big ones that I often hear is like, who's responsible? Uh, so under the law, under the, a lot of the laws that I mentioned, Affordable Care Act, e, you know, the ADA, 
the responsible party is the employer or the health group health plan itself, um, not the vendor. Uh, even with HIPAA, you know, it's it's the group health plan uh, that has the responsibility, although the vendor could be responsible as a business associate. But the employers look to the vendor most of the time for compliance. And, you know, so if there's a notice that has to be issued, you know, they a lot of them want the vendor to issue the notice, even though the law technically says it's the responsibility of the employer. Mm. And so contractually that ha- those issues have to be worked out as who, you know, who is going to take on that responsibility. And a lot of times the vendor will take that on um, to get the business. But, tech, you know, even though technically they're not the legal entity responsible under the the applicable law. Interesting. Okay, good. All right, let's talk more generically about attorneys for a minute. If someone needs to consult with an attorney, what advice would you have for them besides calling you directly? If someone needs to consult with an attorney? Yeah, um, what, what would be some tips to find the right person what should that first conversation look like? It, it feels like, especially for an independent practitioner, it probably is a little harrowing. It, it kind of feels like, I don't even know what to ask. I don't know how to find somebody. There's all these weird TV shows about attorneys. There's these billboards yeah. everywhere. What would be your advice to find a legitimate, trustworthy attorney? First of all, would request that anyone looking for an attorney have a pretty good idea of what their business what they want their business to look like first. Okay. Uh, I've had clients reach out to me prematurely uh, where, you know, they, they have this grandiose idea of what <laughs> they want to do, but really haven't dug in and done the market research, written a business plan, you know, done those preliminary things that are really, really essential um, before hiring an attorney, because an attorney, you know, once you know what, what you want to do and where you want to go and how you want to get there, the attorney can help you uh, get there (laughs) in a compliant way. Um, But if you have no notion, I mean, um, unless the attorney is willing to give you like a a little bit of a free consult um, to maybe guide you. And and a lot of attorneys do, I know I do that um, for 15 minutes. It's not very long. Otherwise, you're going to be paying for time because that's how attorneys earn their money is they, you know, it's their time. Um, And you may decide ultimately to go in another direction and may feel like, oh, all that time and money that I wasted contacting an attorney. So there are I I would just suggest that having a, a clearer vision of what you want before you reach out to legal counsel, unless you know, you can find someone who can give you a free consult while you're in your preliminary stages and then maybe go back to that person once you've fine tuned it a bit more. That's fantastic advice. And I think that's advice, folks, even beyond the legal side. It doesn't matter who you're reaching out to. Obviously, I'm talking to folks all the time that are trying to figure out where they're going with their business and their coaching career and all that kind of stuff. And it's so nice when somebody, they don't have it all figured out, but they have that vision that you're talking about. And so now you can help fine tune it versus helping them create that initial vision. So great stuff. Yeah. So we have a a great attorney we work with for 15 years to write and review contracts, but the cost adds up. 
So what are things coaches, we're talking to the individual coaches now, on a budget can do either on their own or maybe some online resources to get started and then maybe they come to you later with that before, you know, as they start to get their arms around the details. Are, are there some starting things that they can do? Are there some legitimate online sources that might give them some templates to work with? What, what is your advice there? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you asked that because I'm in the midst of creating templates. Or I Folks, have, I didn't I know that. She didn't flip me a $20 bill or anything <laughs> for this one. I, 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 I'm, I hope to have it available starting, uh, in the beginning of 2022. Oh, the, beautiful. Um, yeah. So, uh, and that is something that I recognize because I do get a lot of coaches who contact me who are on a budget. And right. I understand that as a startup myself, I get, you know, the, sure. you don't have a lot of resources to spread around and you want to use it as wisely as possible. So yes, there, um, there are templates that you can use, um, and, and, and a lot of them are sufficient. Um, I know the ones that I'm creating will be very tailored to the coaching industry, health coaching in particular, um, because, you know, there are some unique circumstances to health coaches oh, that absolutely. business coaches or yeah. others that don't have to worry about. So yeah, you're going to want someone who's knowledgeable about health and wellness to guide you or to be the source of your tools that you ultimately choose. Because as I tell my students, because I also teach full-time at uh, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in the healthcare administration program, as I tell my students <laughs> that healthcare is a highly regulated industry, mm. even if you're working on the periphery as a coach or um, an alternative type care provider in functional or integrative medicine or Reiki or energy, you're still having to confront healthcare laws at the state and federal level that uh, can get you into trouble. Uh, a lot of state laws, when this is really going towards scope of practice and licensure. Uh, coaches aren't licensed. They're not recognized as a licensed profession by any state. And so making sure that you are staying within your coaching lane and properly advising your clients or pr prospective clients that you are not practicing any sort of medicine or dietetics or other licensed profession. Psychology is another big one uh, that you are just there as a coach and making sure that language is really, really clear for both you and your client as just a huge risk mitigator. Uh, and so that you really want to make sure that those kinds of statements are there acknowledgement about HIPAA stuff, which doesn't always apply. And just having someone knowledgeable about the landscape of the healthcare world that you are teetering on the edge of as a coach. So definitely send me that link. We'll include as soon as it's ready and we'll add it to the podcast, even if it comes out afterwards in the description. So folks, this is that, that was her insights of what's coming is probably worth just hearing this. You're like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Have you seen any 
difference between the coach that's been through the MBHWC uh, certification process that has a scope of practice, that has a code of ethics, have you seen that kind of gives that coach a, a running start because they're required to know all those things before earning that certification versus the person that's coming in saying, hey, Wild West, let's do this thing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the people who call me who reference and MBHWC. They are much more cognizant of uh, their role and express more concern about staying within that role and wanting to do the right thing. And that, to me, is so refreshing, so nice, um, because those who who aren't really knowledgeable about that accreditation or not really caring, um, yeah, are just are much more cavalier and looking for ways that they can do what they want to do and not get caught. So, (laughs) I mean, we're here to help everybody, uh, but it takes a bit more uh, gymnastics with uh, individuals who are looking for ways to work around a lot of laws as opposed to individuals who just want to make sure that they're doing what they're taught to do and staying within that. That's good. And folks, if you're not familiar with that, uh, it's the NBHWC, the National Board for Health and Wellness Coaching. We had the executive director, Leanne Webster, on actually each of the last two years. So if you're unfamiliar with that, go back a handful of, of episodes and you can you can hear her talking about the future of health and wellness coaching. All right. I've got a number of just kind of quick hit 30, 60 second answers for coaches. What, what, let's just jump into this. What are your suggestions for a coach setting up their own business to work with individuals? Any quick hits? And again, this is not meant to be comprehensive, everyone. I just want to get her top of mind thoughts on each one of these. So suggestions for the coach thinking about, about to set up their own business to work with individual clients. Get insurance. There are mm. ins- liability insurers out there. Good. Uh, Think about setting up your own legal entity, separate your business from Mm, your personal life and make sure you do the research on naming your entity um, so that you're not picking a name that is already out there. And that's going to get you into trouble. Someone saying that you stole my name just from a business standpoint, find your niche, find your niche. That was good. I didn't even like give you a heads up on that question, but you nailed it. Good job. All right. One of the things that you mentioned was your your legal entity. Why is it important to form an LLC or whatever happens to be best for you? Obviously, you've got S-Core, C-Core, et cetera, but LLC or similar. Why is it important to do that? Because it protects your personal assets. If there is ever a problem and anyone ever tries to accuse you um, of wrongdoing, they would be accusing your business and not you personally. And if any sort of remedy was available to that person, they wouldn't be able to touch your house or your car or things that are not owned by the business. Uh, And so that legal separation, both from a monetary standpoint, protecting your your valuables and, but also protecting your personal name, your personal brand, you know, it's your, it's your LLC that would be in trouble. <laughs> Not necessarily you, uh, from a reputation standpoint, it could also be very helpful. Good, good. Excellent. Uh, similar line, you mentioned insurance. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. You've got a couple of options. You've got professional liability insurance. You've got 
personal liability insurance. Can you walk us through the difference between those two and, and why they matter? And does the coach need both or one? Or what are your recommendations on that? Well, I think you mean there's professional liability insurance and then general liability yeah, yeah. insurance. So professional liability is really covering mistakes you make as a professional. Okay. Um, as a coach, you know, so decisions that you make, whereas general liability is important, especially if you're going to have like a brick and mortar kind of facility where you're going to see people that's going to cover things like slips and falls and you know, damage to that's that occurs because of the actual building that you're in or something along those lines. But um, professional liability between the two is definitely the most important. Okay. Very good. Excellent. Initial consent forms. Any quick hit suggestions on consent forms they might want to consider using? Yeah. Well, to be an effective consent in the law, we teach in healthcare. We say it has to tell you what, give you a good description of what you are getting as the client, what the alternatives are to what you would be getting, uh, what the pros and cons of the alternatives are, what uh, the risks are of the the service that you are choosing and you know, whether, and, and it should be signed by the, the client. So uh, it's acknowledged so that they actually have read it. And it's not like a notice form. It's actually something that they have to read through and, and sign. Okay, good. And then the contract, again, we'll have a link to your site that'll have some, some templates that'll be available. Top two or three things they want to make sure they're including in any sort of an agreement they create with their, their clients or potential clients. They should have a very clear scope listed in their contract. These are the scope of my services. Uh, and these are not what I'm going to be doing. And especially with health and wellness, you want to make that very clear. Uh, and then uh, I also think having something about um the risk. So the, the client agrees that I'm taking on this risk mm. freely, voluntarily, and I'm not going to hold the coach responsible if anything goes wrong. Um, that those are, those are important Maybe. items that should be in a consent form. Okay. What about working with minors? A parent contacts you and says, Oh, you know, my teenage son is doing such and such, or my, my daughter would really benefit from this guidance along those lines. What, what needs to happen there? Well, minors aren't old enough to sign an agreement, so you'd have to get their parent or legal guardian to sign on their behalf. Yeah, I mean, minors are tough because it should, the client relationship is with the minor, but uh, the payment is usually coming from the parent. And so it can get tricky, um, depending on the type of coaching that you're doing, of course, but um, you want to be respectful of your your client, the minor, uh, <laughs> assuming the parent isn't attending sessions with them, uh, the parent could get nosy and ask for information. And even though HIPAA might not apply to you directly as a coach, you could use HIPAA in this case as a guideline where um, you should only be disclosing to the parent the minimum amount necessary that they need to know to pay the bill <laughs> if they're paying the bill. Okay. That makes sense. States, you mentioned different states have different laws. What about things like nutrition? I know that's been a one that you've probably been contacted a lot about is the 
the RDs saying coaches can't do this and the coaches saying, well, maybe I can and the, the law stepping in. Any guidance for, for, uh, for that side of things? Well, there's good resources out there that show states that are more restrictive when it comes to nutritional counseling than others. Um, and I don't have the states memorized, um, but there are some states that allow people who don't have a license, uh, license to practice dietetics, for example, to still for a fee, give advice on nutrition, as long as some disclosures are made. California is one of those, those uh, states. And I think Minnesota as well, but other states um, prohibit use of the titles, certain titles uh, like dietitian or nutritionist, or, you know, it'll be in the state statutes and other states uh, just care about what you're doing. Are you giving nutritional advice? Uh, and if you are and you're not licensed to do so, then you could be in trouble. And oh, I know states like Ohio and Florida have been active in the yeah. past. The licensing boards um, going after people who are giving nutritional advice who aren't licensed to do so. So it's not uncommon. Uh, it really is going to vary on what exactly the state licensure board is saying that you can't do call yourself a certain title or do certain things in your practice for a fee. Okay. Very good. Last one, any specific things people with dual credentials. So for example, a a coach who's also a counselor, a coach who's also a nurse, a coach who's also a physician, any things that would be helpful for them to keep in mind as they move forward? Yeah. People who actually have a license um, in the state to do certain practices, it can be trickier for them because they do have the training and knowledge um, that can cross state lines. And a lot of people that I see, you know, using telehealth virtual platforms to deliver services to all 50 states and even beyond. And but they're only licensed to practice nursing or um, medicine or whatever in one state. Yeah. Uh, and so if you are one of those people and you want to continue practicing as a nurse or as whatever licensed profession you have that you have a separate website, separate business, even for your licensed practice from your coaching practice. Okay. Very good. Barbara, this was excellent. We should have brought you on a year ago, maybe two years ago. We need you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And we really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was fun. Well, Knowing the hourly rates for attorneys, I think we all need to send Barbara a check in the coming week for her consult. Now, seriously, thank you again to Barbara Zababa for her valuable insights. We will have a link to her website in the description. And as soon as those templates she mentioned are available, we'll link to that as well. Thank you for tuning into the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. We are grateful to have you choose to spend time with us each week. And we appreciate any time you pass the word on about what we're doing here to bring evidence-based health and wellness to the forefront. Next week's guest is Dr. Elise DeMarco, discussing all the intriguing aspects of mom brain. You're going to love it. I can promise you. As always, feel free to reach out to us with any questions about your current or future coaching career or your employee wellness program, email is results at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. You can tap into additional health and wellness resources on the website at catalystcoachinginstitute.com. Now it's time to be a catalyst. 
This is Dr. Bradford Cooper, the Catalyst Coaching Institute. I will speak with you soon on another episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast, or maybe over at youtube.com slash coaching channel.